Hi and welcome to the School Should Be podcast, a chance to hear from students, teachers and professionals to learn about all the things school should be. My name is Zahara and I am the founder of School Should Be. I've worked in schools for the past 10 years in a variety of roles from a classroom teacher to an education consultant. Schools are clouded by so many barriers, however my experience has shown me it is possible to overcome social and economic hurdles, archaic curriculum structures and be part of the unlearning process that our students and teachers need now more than ever. This podcast will explore a variety of themes, topics and viewpoints, all of which can make school a better place for students and teachers. I hope it helps you learn and smile along the way too. Please do leave a review, share and help us grow the School Should Be community. Right, let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the School Should Be podcast. Liberty and Nur join me today. They are both uh, university students and both have a wide range of experience. They're going to talk about their school experiences, the subjects that they're doing themselves. They'll introduce that. Um, Our topic of discussion today is the book The Double X Economy by Linda Scott. And The Double X Economy is a fascinating book. It's very much to do with women and the economy. And Noor and Liberty are going to talk more about this uh, as opposed to me. And the, the main thing that we're going to be discussing today is where do barriers begin for women as a sort of extension of uh, Linda Scott's book? Uh, do those barriers begin at school or in the workplace? Hi, guys. Hey, how are you doing? Hello. I'm good. How are you? We're good. Yeah, we're just, yeah, we're good. good chilling. chilling. <laughs> good chilling. Okay, so uh, tell me about yourselves, uh, subjects that you're studying. Yeah, um, so I'm uh, currently at uni in my final year doing aerospace engineering. Um, so yeah, um, my, I did A-levels in maths, physics and product design. So a little bit of creative in there as well, as well as the maths and stuff. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, I'm really different. Um, <laughs> I'm doing French international business. I'm in my placement year, which is um, not a lot of people know what it is. So um, mine's a four year course and a placement year is integrated either into your third year or your final year. Um, oh, sorry, after your second year or after your final year as a chance for you to explore a field that you're interested in and get some work experience. Um, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. And then I'll be graduating hopefully next year. <laughs> Okay, great. So you're both very different fields of interest. And Liberty, yours is more uh, towards STEM, isn't it? Like that kind of bracket uh, of STEM. Um, And it's also very interesting that, well, not interesting, but point worthy that you're a woman in STEM because we know that STEM isn't necessarily female, a female dominated industry. It's actually an industry which needs more female representation. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, 100%. It's it's kind of one of those things of like, you know, some people say sort of, you know, I don't see like race or I don't see like, you know, gender or something, but it's like, yeah, you do need to notice it because it is it, it affects you. You know what I mean? If you're the only woman in a working environment or the only one in a team of people, it does affect you whether you like it or not or whether you want it to or not. So, yeah. Absolutely. And it's almost, it can be conscious, but it can also be subconscious as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
I know you're the one that introduced the book Double X Economy into our lives, which I have to say I'm still reading. So don't, please don't, let's not have this conversation thinking I finished the book because I have not. <laughs> um, but tell me what, okay, so Double X Economy, how is that relevant to this discussion and your experiences? That's a question. Um, it's very, very relevant because essentially the double X economy is about where the economy currently stands for women and why it needs to improve. And I think it's really relevant because it goes very thoroughly into the history of women and the history of economics for women and why those things contribute to the standing of women today. Um, and throughout her book, Linda Scott, and even at the end, she gives a really thorough um, she has really thorough solutions for what we need to do as individuals, for what companies need to do, for what governments need to do. Um, and more importantly, it's really relevant because she's, so in my opinion, it's a really refreshing narrative because she makes it very clear that gender inequality is something that affects everybody and therefore everybody needs to be part of um, the solution really. And she makes it very evident that gender inequality should be seen as a global issue um, so that's why I think it's really relevant for our conversation. It's a really good starting point as well, um, especially if you have no idea about gender inequality. I mean, I'm going to admit that I didn't know much about it until I read her book and now I feel like I know so much more. So it's again, it's like one of those non-fiction books that isn't necessarily centralised in schools, but could effectively make a great difference to your school experiences, especially for both of you, because you both went to a single sex school. Continue. Um, and that sort of brings me back to liberty, really, because coming back to this conversation about STEM. So what have your experiences been of um, taking a subject, which and this is going to sound really like probably the ridic most ridiculous way of describing it, but has high economic value, right? Like in terms of your subject of uh, choice, from a career perspective, it can lead to some really great career opportunities. And um, yet it is one not many young women will consider taking. Um, let's go back to your sick form experience. And how did you come to take your subject when it when it's when it's so underrepresented um, underrepresented by women? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely. I I think I always had. I always knew that I sort of liked to make it. I mean, I think when I was in year one or something, I have a little postcard we had to write what we wanted to be when we were older. And mine was like an inventor, which mm -hmm. obviously isn't actually a job, job title, but it's still, it's actually quite similar to what I do now, which is engineering. It's, it's fairly similar. Um, so I always knew that I kind of, that was what I liked doing. Um, and then I got really lucky that my secondary school was an all girls school. So you didn't really get that influence of like boys subjects as much. Like it was still there in society and stuff and like if you tell people like oh I want to be an engineer or I want to do a maths A level people do you know they're like oh wow like and like you know as a girl that's amazing and it's always it's always in there so you do still get that but at school you didn't because it wasn't there wasn't boys in the class or when you were thinking about picking your A level options it wasn't oh am I going to be the only girl because no the whole class is going to be girls um so that was a good influence but I did go to a mixed sixth form so then I think when I got to sit for me, it was a bit of a sort of wake up call because I didn't think it would affect me that much. Um, like I knew I was going to be one of the only girls, um, but I didn't think I didn't think about how that would like impact me. Mm -hmm. so I think it's just things like I just assumed, you know, it'd be fine. I'd get along with the boys in my class. 
which I did get along with them, but you can't make any good friends really as well as much as you do when you have other females in your class. Um, and also you feel that if there is one other girl, you kind of, you're kind of forced together into a little friendship because you, there's no one else there. Um, so that definitely impacts you a bit, I think. And it, like I said, I didn't think it would be such a big difference going from a all girls school to a mixed sixth form, but it, it was quite a lot. Um, and then I think DT, I want to put a bit of an emphasis on because actually me and we were talking about it last night and saying that, you know, maths and physics is compulsory to do at GCSE. So, you know, all, all girls do at GCSE, but DT isn't. And not all schools offer it because it's expensive. Um, and it's quite, there's not a lot of DT teachers around. So it's, it's quite a, a like sort of underfunded subject really. And even if you do have the luxury of having a DT department, there is near to no girls take it as GCSE or an A-level. Um, just because you know it's you're working with tools and machines and the teachers are often men and you're like and it's an option as well so you're thinking about as, as a 13 year old you're thinking about oh I want my friends in my classes mm-hmm. so why why would you pick a subject that's going to be your voice when you're a teenage girl of like 13 picking subjects that's so, really interesting sorry sorry not to interrupt you no no, no I was just going to say like when you said in your sick form class that you weren't like it's different making friends with boys because I wonder if like it's great to hear that from your single like sex school experience or girls school that the school did and you know there are plenty of theories and arguments for and against single sex and um, mixed education um, especially now when we think of gender identity Um, but with that experience that your school did empower you or make you feel that you could take whatever subject it was that you wanted, which contextually is actually quite refreshing to hear. But it's when you went to a mixed college that you felt a little bit, I don't know, well, how did you feel in the lessons? Did it feel like weird? Like, what does that, what does that mean? <laughs> I think it was definitely weird. And also I was going into a, so it was a stick form but that was part of a school. So a lot of the kids already knew each other. So it wasn't like a new college where everybody's new. Right. The only new people. So I think that contributed to it a little bit as well. So all the boys, had already, they'd known, some of them had known each other since they were like eight or nine. Right. So it was very much, they were already friends. They already knew who they were. I was the new kid. And not only that, I was the new girl in their class. So it was a class of, I don't know, eight boys. And it was me and sometimes one other girl. Um, so for maths and physics, I had one other girl in my class. And then for DT, I was the only one. Um, so... It just and it, it makes it hard to make friends. Um, so as a new student, it's hard enough <laughs> making friends already. And then when you're in classes where it's all boys and they already have friendship groups, trying to make your own friendship group is really difficult. And it took me a good year really to make any like proper friends. Like I had people I was friendly with, but making proper friends was just so difficult. And actually, none of those friends ended up being from my subjects. They were all from clubs I did or we had like houses so like the house I was in it was a girl's house so some of the girls from that house as well um so I think mm. it's definitely really sort of odd that I didn't I thought that I'd be able to make friends there because you just see I don't know you just sort of think well it'd be fine it's like any school just because there's boys there doesn't make a difference but actually it kind of did in, in a way I have to say I think it's quite a common experience for um, many students who leave their school of place in year 11 and then go into sixth form because you've obviously spent five years making friends and now all of a sudden within the space of two years you're not only expected to start a new complete career in education but you also expect to form and evolve into a new community and that in itself is quite tricky um 
do you so what like we've spoken about representation and you know your you said the subjects that you did were you know taught by men on on the whole which obviously makes sense because if women are underrepresented in those underrepresented in those fields that makes sense how would you say from your experience then can schools encourage more regardless of those barriers uh so male teachers more men in those lessons how can you make sure how can we how can schools overcome those barriers to get more women young women especially into stem subjects i think it's kind of sort of a, a there's still two main things that we sort of came up with yesterday when we were talking about it um and the first one is uh, to do with STEM capital, which we actually quite interestingly have a whole module in my uni. It is an optional module, but it is a whole module. So it's, that's a bit of an improvement in the first place. Um, and it's about how there's this idea that, you know, every child has a little jug and like every time they have a parent in a STEM career or they, someone comes to visit their school or they have an interest in it, they go to a museum that has like technology and science in it. A little bit more gets added to their little STEM jug. and once it reaches a certain level, that child is like exponentially more likely to get into that field. Um, and so I think with schools, not all children have parents or grandparents or parental figures that are in the STEM industry. And especially young girls tend to follow their female um, sort of parental figures and young boys tend to follow their male parental figures just on a general, like, no, not always. Um, so I think, schools could really do a lot if they had, and actually this companies as well, STEM companies could really help having sort of outreach programs where they have people who look like them and, and are like the children, you know, and this isn't just for females as well, you know, people of color in the industry, just seeing someone who looks like you as a child doing that job, it makes you sort of be able to envision yourself doing it. Whereas if you don't have that before, it's really hard um, to get into that. Yeah. No, that no, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess even having um, like seeing somebody that looks like you is, you know, like you, I you said at the very beginning of the of the podcast, like this idea that you know I see no color, I see no gender. Like that is, I find that such a fruitless argument personally, um, because it's just not, it's not true. <laughs> like you can't, like do not devalue and belittle my identity just because you want to, I don't know, like overlook the barriers or overlook the prejudice or the systemic issues associated with it. It's actually quite a toxic line. I know people say it to feel, I don't know, they probably mean no offense by, about, by it, but it's almost like toxic positivity. This idea that, oh, we're all living in a utopia where everybody's equal, which clearly is very far from the truth. Yeah, I've actually started reading um, How to Argue with a Racist by Adam Rutherford, and he's trying to combine science and history to make um, racism easier to understand and easier to solve. And essentially, he says that as well intentioned people may be when they say things like race doesn't exist or, um, you know, I see no race or I see no colour. They do exist because scientifically they are like concepts. Um, and if we did better understand them, it would make it a lot easier to have more practical, productive conversations about them. Um, so hopefully the narrative will change soon. And I think school is a great is a great place to start. Um, and that kind of brings us back to the double X economy, which it is like, you know, like I said, I'm part way through reading it and it is an excellent book. 
However, it's also quite expensive, understandably. It's a very well-written book. It's hardback. It wasn't released very long ago. Um, and we're doing this podcast in the present. So from your exploration of it, what would you say schools and communities are already doing to create more opportunities and more equitable space uh, for women? And from uh, Linda Scott Scott's research, what practical starting points do you think schools, teachers and parents can take? Obviously, Lib Liberty's already touched on a few of those, which is representation is key. And this, I really like this idea of STEM capital and the jug and sort of starting to collect experiences, anecdotes, analogies, information that makes that capital great for women. Um, but it would be great to know what we're already doing and what more we could do based on Linda Scott's research. Yeah, sure. So based on Scott's research, the world's actually doing quite a bit um, when, you, when she puts it into perspective. So when she was in East Kenya, she started a sanitary pad programme because she noticed there was a relationship between young women not having access to sanitary towels and then dropping out of um, school, then being sexually abused, um, forced marriages, and she just felt like something needs to change here, and that is sanitary pads. And as a result, um, or to start that, she essentially got parents and teachers having conversations together, both men and women from local communities in East Kenya, to start talking about the fact that sanitary pads and towels aren't luxuries, they are needs, and young women need them to keep safe and be educated, um, which made a massive difference to those communities. Um, in Bangladesh, culturally, um, some women can't leave their houses without a man, so they end up being isolated for quite a lot of their time, and Avon noticed that, um, or I think Linda Scott noticed that, and got in touch with Avon, and Avon representatives started going to these women's houses who were isolated to try and, try and have conversations with them, try and give them products to make them feel integrated and make them feel more human, like they had friends and so on. That made a huge difference to their, to their lives. Um, and she also talks about in her book about how Scandinavian countries are doing a lot better um, at generating more equal pay, um, better childcare services, better maternity leave and pay, service and better paternity leave and so on and it's it's crazy how much difference that makes to the general state of happiness in their country um, and also just the general living standards as well um, and more recently in the UK this isn't in um, Scott's book but the UK has just made it mandatory for I think most if not all schools to provide free sanitary pads for all girls um, and then outside of Linda Scott's book, I was doing some research and according to UCL, or sorry, LSE even, um, India have created period boxes for young girls to have sanitary pads and they're responsible for them and, and boys can be responsible for them too, which is opening up the conversation in a quite he healthy and open way about periods. Um, in Turkey, um, the, the government are making it mandatory for their curriculums to be gender aware. So I think what that means is that they enter education knowing, or they're taught that gender inequity does exist. So this is what it means for everyone. Um, and so I think that shows that the world is taking steps and things are being done. And I think that the practical points to be taken from here is that one, funding is necessary. Funding needs to be there for these sorts of things to happen. Um, two, you need to have some sort of awareness, I think, to begin with. Um, in order for the funding, the policies to take place, somebody at the top has to know these things, somebody at the top has to care about these things. And whether that means in the government or in your school leadership, it just means that 
they have to know and, and prioritize gender inequity does exist. So how are we going to make a difference? Does that mean that when we have people coming from outside of our school to give talks, we're going to have just as many women as men. We're going to have men and women of colour and of faith. Are we going to have, can we have a Sikh man come in? Can we have a Muslim woman come in? You know, if you have the representative, if you have those students in your school and, you know, furthermore to just encourage inclusion diversity throughout school, does that mean you are going to provide sanitary pads for free and you're going to talk about this very openly and healthily to boys and girls? I just, I think that that will all come from an awareness gender inequality is a global issue. So yeah. if it's a global issue, then every country needs to take um, some action. And, you know, those actions might be different, but at least each country is taking an action and is moving is, is moving forward, essentially. And so just coming back to both of you and your experiences, like you both seem to have had quite positive experiences as young women in your school um, from a gender perspective, right? Um, so living in the western world i know some might say that we've got it pretty good so you've just like uh nor the countries you named um not not turkey but the, like bangladesh for example might be considered as a developing country i know many of us have issues with those words now rightly so but for the sake of understanding we'll call it a developing country um now people will say that over here we've got it pretty good you know, we live in a democratic, diplomatic society. We've made moves, you know, like you, you might hear men say that, you know, we've come so far, full stop. <laughs> so with that in mind, do you think, do you think we have got it good? Because I'll be honest, I'm from a generation where gender wasn't, it is, is important. I don't, I don't really recall so many conversations around it as you guys are now and Generation Z are now having, right? Like, in, especially when it comes to things like race, the environment, equity, gender. Um, tell me about your experiences um, when it comes to school and being a woman at school. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, um, in terms of like sort of the Western world versus like developing, I think, it is true that we do have things pretty good and like we were saying last night that legally and like in the laws and our policies on the fa at face value we are pretty much at like almost equality really there but a lot of our change that I think a lot of people are talking about now is actually very sort of cultural and societal change that hasn't so yes the policies are there but the way people treat their the children differently, their daughters and sons differently. Even at school, boys and girls, they have different, mm -hmm. completely different uniforms, sometimes different rules. They have different lessons catered to them slightly differently sometimes. And it just, like from the get-go, you know, I mean, as soon as you are a human in society, even as like a young child, there's an immediate distinction between male and female. And so, although those distinctions may always be there, it's trying to lessen it so that it's a bit, it doesn't impact them so much. Because um, I think we were saying how, you know, like what I was saying to me yesterday that like when you're in, even at university um trying to get into like when you're doing group work if you're the only woman in a group of men they don't do it intentionally but a lot of times growing up as teenagers in the same sort of years as well so you know sort of 2010s we were teenagers so you know that boys from the 2010s they have a lot of the same hobbies they have a lot of the same interests and they talk sort of the same way and sometimes when you're in a group with them it's really hard to break in and join the conversation because 
you don't have those same interests or those same hobbies because you were socialized differently. Mm-hmm. So in a work environment, it becomes really isolating. And I mean, in this book, we, I, I read a couple of pages of it last night. And the average uh, like tenure of a career for a woman in the ICT industry is seven years. So they literally go into the industry and leave after seven years. And I think a big part of that is not feeling a community or really integrating into that uh, work environment very well, because mm-hmm. although you can be friendly with your male colleagues, it's really hard to sort of break in and become one of the boys. Like it's very much a boy's culture. So it's, you're not, although they're not being, they're not cutting you out. It's hard to fully connect there. So I think that's a, in the Western world, it's very much a cultural social change that needs to happen. That's really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. And I think culture is very important. Um, and like you said, it stems from hobbies. Yeah. And I think that's, I feel like that's societal because when we were younger, we weren't introduced to cars and planes as toys. You were introduced to, 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 to dolls and, and books and, and playgirl makeup. And that's fine. Right. Like I enjoyed playing with dolls and, and reading books. I had no problem with that. But what now we see is that when a girl talks about planes and cars, you might, someone might say to you, oh, well, that's really impressive. But if it was a boy, it would be seen as normal. And two, we were saying yesterday that, so stereotypically, this is a very stereotypical point I'm making, but the way that boys communicate with boys is very different to how girls communicate with girls. And equally, the way that boys communicate with girls is very different. So stereotypically, boys can be more arrogant. They can be a lot more self-assured. They will always have to be right. So when you're in group work with multiple boys and as a woman or as a girl, you're trying to make a point that is relevant, you might get shut down. They might laugh at you. They might look at you a bit weirdly. And that happens in group work. But let's say it's three girls and one boy. It's a lot easier. And funnily enough, in Linda Scott's book, she talks a lot about testosterone and this really hyper aggressive male attitude and that's generated when you have lots of males together and that's why I think it's really important that you that in schools or at uni there is this sense of equality like like an equal number of boys and girls working together otherwise you will have this hyper male attitude working all the time it doesn't actually work for anyone when everybody's aggressive um and I think that all comes from society really the hobbies that you have the way that girls and boys are taught to be and how that impacts their their future at school their future at work um there's an example in linda scott's book which is similar to what liberty was saying about um the average tenure being seven years so i can't remember if it was harvard business school but we're talking top business schools in america um the, the men were accused of sexual assault and they were accused of making really degrading comments towards women um, and we're talking like economics professors like these guys are smart and they should be very very well respected men and then you've got the women who aren't able to teach their class they've got a kid to look after they've got an appointment but because all the all the heads are men they're not they and they don't they won't understand or they don't understand then the woman can't do her work or live her life and it's just it's it's like it's no wonder women can't stay in the industry. It's no wonder women don't choose to go into the industry. It's no wonder that women will say to their husband, or women will say to their husband, why don't you go to work and I'll stay at home with my kids? Because the working world isn't inclusive for a woman. Yeah, and I think that's something that has been, like it kind of does full circle into representation as well. And because it is important, like the sort of lifespan of a female career is shorter or, or it goes through a great deal more change that isn't linear 
compared to a man, um, which is something that I, yeah, Linda Scott does highlight in her book. And she also highlights how the simple act of reading it is activism in itself, because it comes down to knowledge and without knowledge and education. And I think this is where social media can really fall down um, in its instant, in its instant one minute fast news culture whereby things can become memes things can go viral rightly so it's positive activism in many ways but it it's it's it becomes novelty and it becomes uh, let's create noise and it becomes noise and i think that's where uh conversations around gender can actually go wrong in that they become like a, a an activist movement which is needed but then it dies down so you do need those change makers at the top of the food chain. So whether that be in policy or in leadership or um, and then equally going back to um, uh, what you what you both said about uh, representation. So playing with cars versus playing with dolls, which is a huge stereotype and one I think many parents are challenging now. It does come down to parenting. Um, and I really do strongly believe that in that it is there is a lot of pressure on a parent, but one thing that parents really need to be aware of before teachers is what types of cultural capital they are introducing their child to. So if you're reading your child a little, you know, for me, it was like Biff, Chip and Kipper. I don't think you guys had those books, but you know, uh, oh, you did. Okay. Like, so, um, <laughs> but like so Biff, Chip and Kipper, I, I can't even remember them very well, but I remember like, what was the, I can't remember what the girls, it was the girl Biff or Chip. I think she was Biff. I think the boy was Chip. Anyway, like Biff, if that was the girl, she used to wear trousers, she used to put her hair up in a ponytail. That makes a difference. She used to go on the adventures with the with Chip and Kipper. Um, and that comes, like even books now, they need to be, they need to have astronauts in them. They need to have aeronautical engineers, you know? If you want your young child to be surrounded by, especially your young, your young female child, to be surrounded by that, um, it needs to be in literature that's accessible to them. Everybody's turning to um, Kamala Harris, right? You know, in the Biden administration, great, absolutely fantastic. We have this female woman of color representation, but I'm not being funny. As much as you've got those Instagram great captions of all oh, my three-year-olds now gonna look at Kamala Harris on the TV and think, oh, I can do that job one day. A three-year-old would much rather look at a book that makes sense to them, that is attractive to them, that's colorful for their mindset. And I think cultural capital is important. It just needs to be relevant to the age group as well. That's um, why, like gender equity plays a role in everything. Cause if you look at the, the difference that Black Panther made and Crazy Rich Asians, having a whole cast that was just black, having a whole class that was just Southeast Asian was insane. And we were saying that imagine if Bollywood did that for Hollywood, right? Like it would make a huge difference. And um, yeah, you're right. I think it makes a massive difference. And yeah, you're right. You know, kids would much rather watch a movie than see a woman in politics because they're three years old. Yeah, exactly. Obviously it's important, but yeah, I think, so coming back to, uh, so Liberty, let's talk about workplaces because obviously school is great in that um, it's a great introduction and a very important foundation to, 
learning and like you said for you those subjects were always going to be what you took because luckily and I shouldn't even have to say that word but luckily your school didn't create those barriers for you it wasn't even like you were happy it very felt very natural taking those subjects um you then go on and spend as students do a long time in a career might not be the same workplace but usually or it might not be even but you go you go to the workplace so with regards to work what role do you and i know we've spoken about this briefly in the past but what role do you think workplaces play in recruiting more young women in STEM? So I think, um, they, I mean, obviously they, they play a big role. And I think um, sort of tying back to what we were talking about with representation, what, actually one of the reasons I ended up deciding to pursue engineering as a career when I was about 15, 16, like just before I did my GCSEs, was because our school had um, a group of engineers come in and do a project with us from a local company. And one of those was a female. and she there was three of them there was two two guys and a girl and they were professional engineers and they came in and did this project with i think there was five or six of us that were like chosen as like some of the top maths and science kids to sort of do this this project and it was a competition as well and they were our mentors and seeing the job that she did and that she was already in that career and she was being successful that was that's what that genuinely is what made me choose to do that as a career and so i think companies doing things like that I think maybe it's underestimated the impact it can have, but like firsthand, I can tell you it was so impactful. Like I knew I wanted to do something in that area, but maybe I wouldn't have chosen, maybe I would have gone to sort of architecture or something a bit softer, do you, know, do you know what I mean? Without, if I didn't have that representation that was really sort of just there. I mean, fully like, you know, I, I got to see her do her job and talk to her once a week for like, this, I think it was like two months or something, they did this project with us. Um, so I think if companies can, that kind of thing is really amazing to do. Um, with especially uh, females that are into the sort of maths and sciences because I think now even as, as I'm currently like in my time off I'm a teaching assistant at a school and I'm doing a lot of work in the maths science and DT departments and the amount of girls that actually really have an aptitude for those subjects but they just they're like oh yeah no I do and I, and I say to them I'm like you know I'm I do engineering and they're like wow really and they never considered it you know they, they'll consider interior design or architecture or like product design but they don't consider the like sort of more male versions of those types of jobs which the jobs are fairly similar there's a lot of overlap um but they don't consider the really you know the, the considered more you know male dominated jobs um so i think yeah just having that representation it, it was almost that they'd never they never realized they could or that it was appropriate for them to do that um so i think yeah if companies can do that that's a huge huge thing and then the other one, like we were talking about before, keeping women in your industries, because how are you going to have that representation if you don't have any senior leadership that will fit female? So like if your women are leaving after seven years, then when, as a young woman coming into the industry, where's your mentor, where's your representation in that? Because they've all left, they've all gone. And, and unfortunately that happens a lot. A lot of female engineers end up going into teaching because they have kids and it, it fits better with their timetable, or they go into doing sort of, just, they just change their career because that career, that corporate engineer career that means you have to travel a lot. It's not really flexible working hours. You don't have that, they don't, you don't have a group of female friends in your workplace really, like maybe there's one or two, but you're not really involved in the team. It's just all of that sort of amounts and they just think, you know what, I'm better off in a, in a job different to this. And then there's no representation. So 
And that in itself, that's just so disappointing, isn't it? It's so disappointing that, you know, even in 2021, that this is still a conversation. And just going back to what you said about those, uh, like, young girls, young women in, in the school that you're working at, at the moment, like listening to you doing engineering. The other thing I find by extension really interesting and almost really problematic is that when if you've got two women standing next to each other, so let's take you and Noor right now, right? Like you, you're both sitting next to each other. You're doing engineering. Noor's doing completely different stuff. She's doing languages and business, right? Somebody would almost always be like, "Oh, engineering!" Like as if it's more of a conversation draw. And then that that in itself is also like, I feel like that inherently shows that women shouldn't or aren't capable for those subjects. So if you do it, you're extra special. And that is also really, it pits women against one another. It, I, I, we were literally talking about this last night and I actually wrote when we were doing some notes last night. Thing, one, <laughs> of my, one of my things talking about the sort of, especially my A-level subjects, if you're a girl and you take those subjects, there is so much pressure to be amazing at it. Whereas some boys, they take maths as their filler subject because they couldn't think of a third one. And it's like, as a girl, if you take a maths or physics as an A-level, you are expected, it's like, oh, you must be really good at that. Whereas boys, they literally take it just because it's like, they need, and, and that happens so often, like, in, especially in A-level, I really, again, because it was a mixed school, so I'd never seen this, I'd never experienced this sort of thing before. But it was so many of them had just, you know, I'd be like, oh, what do you want to be? And they're like, oh, like, I don't know, maybe like a, like a lawyer, that's something that doesn't really involve maths. And I'm like, well, why are you taking maths? And they're like, oh, because I needed something else. Whereas all the girls that took it, the only reason they took it is because they wanted to do something in the maths field. And it's like you're expected to be their pressure to be good at it. And it's the same thing when you tell someone, oh, what do you do at uni? Oh, I do aerospace engineering. And they're like, oh, wow. Like they're so, the first of all, surprised. And then they're like, oh, wow, you must be so clever. You must be so good at this. Or what made you choose that? And it's like a big deal. Whereas, you know, if, you know, there's a, a, one of the, another 20 or 21 year old that works in my school is the same age as me did law but you know it's, it's like oh what did you do you need like law and it's like okay cool like they talk about it and move on but it's not it's not like a surprise or a big deal and although that's nice and people that people are appreciating that you are doing something outside the box it also just reinforces that idea to the kids that are impressionable that are also stood around have watching two adults have this conversation but it's rare for to see a girl in engineering and it's like it shouldn't really be that rare it's quite normal actually and like I said, the kids, they're young, they're only sort of, they're year eight, so they're 11, 12, and, oh sorry, 12, 13, but they are still shocked, you know, when I tell them what I do at uni, even they still say, really? And it's, it's kind of like, you know, these are kids that were born in 2009, and it's like, they, how is this still a thing that's, they're young and they've already got that impression? And by extension, you might then have men in in, in the engineering field, uh, so like people in the workplace who are very open minded, who are lovely, lovely to talk to. And they might say, oh, yeah, we'll recruit women any day of the week. Like we'd never, ever discriminate, which I'm sure they don't. But what they don't, I find and I, do, I think this is subconscious um, in their thinking is what they don't you have to actively think about how is your workplace equipped for women and other genders? Like how is your workplace able to cater to the woman who does have three children and is sharing responsibilities with her husband who is in an entirely different profession? Uh, how, how do you cater for it from a financial perspective, 
from a flex perspective, from a workplace perspective, um, from even things like, I know like, for example, the other, the other uh, career, a career that's just come to mind that sort of falls under your um under stem is um like you said architecture and if you're going out to the site or to the field as they call it and i don't know you're on your period and there are no toilets around and your boss is like right you've got to go out to the field <laughs> for the next three weeks or whatever i don't know if that's true but you know it's something to consider you know i even remember as a teacher like you know when it's your time of the month and you've got a five-day period a five-day back-to-back lessons with a lunchtime club and an after-school club how on earth do you manage your own hygiene and your um, needs (laughs) at that time and it is something workplaces need to consider more yeah no I mean we we literally broke down like on this big chunk with like practice what you preach because the amount of companies that say they're going to do this and they'll fill their quotas and they'll put women on the front of their brochures and in their promo packages and all that kind of stuff but they're not they're not necessarily listening to any complaints that and it's not just women anyone who's diverse in that community you know like in your workplace you know that isn't the standard straight white cis man they anyone who's any different they're not necessarily listening and changing things mm. for them um or they'll listen and then don't really change. They'll sort of change it a little, something small and be like, there you go, that's take, you know, we'll appease you with that. And it's not actively really doing any radical change within the industry, which I guess is radical change is always a lot to ask, but you know, sometimes we've reached a point where what's, you know, that, this is the next step. The next step is to do some things in, in your yeah. company that's been around for decades that has worked perfectly fine the way it was, but you know, doesn't mean it can't work any better. And I find a lot of leaders at the top are so focused on policy. And I know we're going off on a tangent here, but maybe it's because of my experiences in leadership. You're so focused on policy and you're so focused on that party line, but that party line is meaningless without action and just start putting micro changes in place, which may, which will eventually lead to a a relevant and useful policy. Um, So that brings me on to my last question, which is all about your school experience. Um, if you were to go back to school, tell me one thing you would change, one thing uh, you, in, uh, so one thing you would change, one thing you really enjoyed, and one thing you would do to make school a better place for students, parents, teachers, local communities. Um, so one thing I really enjoyed was lunchtime Um, it was just it was fun it was chill mum sandwiches were great Um, used to muck about a lot probably my favorite part of the day to be quite honest Um, one thing I would challenge is um, I did write it down but oh here we go I would challenge representation and the lack of representation um, particularly in careers and career support um it's not very clear is it what I mean by that is I would challenge um how schools educate on careers and facilitate careers because often there's not enough support there there's not enough funding there um even if you do have funding for careers it's not like you know you're going to have a black woman come up to you often be a white woman or a white man um and also to make school better I would give more funding for sports and art so that all subjects would be at a level playing field yeah um mine was pretty similar I love the socializing part and then also I was a bit of a nerd so anything learning new things like in any subject not even necessarily like maths and sciences which I was 
I, as you know, <laughs> the career I chose, I, I was I had a bit of an affinity for. But even things I wasn't necessarily good at, sort of English, history, geography, just if it was new information about things that I just didn't know before, or it made things click into place, I just loved that. Like I didn't like the exams, hated the assessments, but just the learning new things. I think mm. a lot of kids can relate to that. Like it's just really interesting when there's like new things around. So I think that was probably my favourite part. And then. Um, challenge things actually very similar to yours about um how to add like how they advertise getting into careers because I found like you know say I, I said to my uh, you know when I was 15 I was like okay I want to go into something maybe sort of engineer or something involving maths and physics they were sort of like okay cool so your next step is you need to get maths and physics A levels um and then you do a degree and that was the only really the only route that was advertised where when I got to the A levels and I had a bit of a panic because my A-levels didn't go particularly well. And I was looking at other routes into that same career. I found those loads. You could do BTEX to get in. You could do foundation years at uni if you didn't get enough grades. You could do apprenticeships in those companies. You could do degree apprenticeships where you do get your degree alongside working in a company. And there was all these different routes. And I was like, hold on, why? what happened when I was 15 and someone told me there was only one way in? Like, how did that happen? Because not everyone is capable of getting necessarily the grades or, or the academic commitment to get to university and do a degree and, and all this kind of stuff and I, it was just like it really blew my mind I was like how come this exists and nobody told me so I think I definitely challenged that a little bit um and then the change thing was change that not all careers have to be academic like I really it it really you know when I see my younger family members stressing about that they don't know what they want to do or they can't find a job that's like considered good enough that they want to do when actually I look around at the rest of my family and I have perfectly successful family members that are builders or nail technicians or they one of my cousins is an entrepreneur has her own bridal shop another one is a tennis coach you know and they they are fine and, and they are living their lives and they're perfectly happy but they probably had a lot of time fumbling around but they didn't know what they wanted to do because they were told your career has to be academic or at school you feel like a bit of a failure because you're not particularly good at any of the academic subjects and it's it's not necessary and I think it causes a lot of stress so I would definitely change that. <laughs> yeah no that's really well summarised both of you like it's um I think it's so important to just make education accessible for all and it kind of ties very well into what Linda Scott is actively trying to do obviously for women from her book but effectively those the the philosophy behind it applies to all areas of inclusivity thank you so much for your time it's all right it's all right i hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as i did mm -hmm. yeah and um yeah like we will i'm sure we'll speak soon and i'm sure you recommend everyone to go read um linda scott's book yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'll plug you to reckon everyone to come here as well <laughs> maybe she'll um listen to this podcast at some point yeah okay great guys i will speak to you soon thank you again for your time okay thank you for having us bye, bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please do leave us a review and share it with your friends and family so they can also learn all about what school should be. Until next time, speak to you soon.